Good morning. Uh, my name is Laura Moore, and I'm on our women's shepherding team here at the Cotswold site. And I wanted to draw your attention to a few announcements you can find printed in your bulletin. The first is our tour to pools. Um, this is for families just together and beat the summer heat. Um, for the next three Wednesdays, we will meet at various pools throughout the city from four to six. Note that time change from the years past. Um, and so we would love for you to join us. If you have any questions about that, you can find me after the service and I can fill you in on the details. The second is on July 27th, we have our quarterly women's dinner. This is truly one of my favorite events that we do. Um, you just simply sign up and you will be placed at a house with eight other women and you'll, you'll just enjoy fellowship and dinner together. One of my favorite things um, last time as women were kind of getting to know each other and um, just introducing themselves, I overheard so many women be like, say, oh yeah, you sit on the right side three rows up, or you sit on the left side in the back corner. It's so funny how we can recognize faces and not ever have conversations. So this is a great opportunity to do so. So I would love for you to join us. You just simply have to sign up. And now we are going to transition and continue worship by reading our passage. I will be reading from Exodus and Hebrews. Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we, have, for we who have believed entered that rest, as he has said, As I swore in my wrath, thou shalt not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again, in this passage, he, he said, Thou shalt not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying that through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Thank you, Laura. Uh, Good morning. Welcome again. My name is Gordon Fleming. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope. Um, If we've not met, I'd love to meet you at some point. Um, As Laura just read, and as you have probably picked up on the theme of what we had this morning through the catechism and through scripture and through a lot of the songs, today we are continuing our study in the Ten Commandments, and this morning we're in the Fourth Commandment to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, as we've been considering each and every commandment, we've um, been confronted with the fact that we're not very good at keeping them at the end of the day, and that's very purposeful and intentional because one of the chief purposes and reasons for the commands of God are to show ourselves our inability to keep them, to show us that we can't save ourselves, that we need someone from outside of us to come and save us, um, and to um, bring about actual true obedience to God's law. The law can change our behavior, but it can't change our heart. The law can't save us. We've seen this every week, and we've seen that the only one that can truly save us is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can change our sinful state and make us presentable before a holy God. Because as the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 2, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And so it's our hope that we can come here every week and delight in God's law and in His holiness, and that we can repent of our inability to keep the law and also repent of our attempts of our own self-salvation and trust more and more in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ and grow in our gratitude for what He has done for us. And so this morning I want to pray for us as we begin, and I want to pray to that end that God would bring about that change in our lives through the work of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, um, as I recite the catechism and as I read your word from Exodus and Hebrews, um, this command feels really weighty in a lot of ways. Um, It feels even sort of legalistic in ways. Um, But Father, we know that's not the purpose of your law. As Psalm 119 tells us that your law is good, Help us to delight in it, Father. Help us to delight in what you've done in saving us and bringing about our forgiveness and our salvation. Um, We are confronted with the fact that we cannot keep your law, but we know that your Son, Jesus Christ, fulfilled every law in every way, and through his perfect obedience, that law can be credited to us as we look to him in faith for our salvation. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that you would give us the courage to slow down and to think about this day that you've given us. It's a gift from you, um, this Sabbath, and I pray that we would receive it as that. In your name I pray, amen. As I was preparing this week, I was spending some time reading and rereading the commandments, and I was really struck that I think this morning I could go around to each and every one of us in the room and I could say, hey, do you think it's a good good idea to obey the Ten Commandments? 
And I think everyone would say, yes, I, I think it's right to obey, and I think it's wrong to disobey the Ten Commandments. But I think that the fourth commandment that we're looking at this morning may be the exception. Think about it. Command number one, which says, you shall have no other God before me. And we may think, well, you know, I don't really know what that means. I'm not 100% sure what that means. But yes, I think it would be wrong to put another God in front of the living and holy God. Command two, you shall not make for yourself any graven images. And we think, yes, I agree. I don't think it's right to make any statues or any kind of like things to pray or sacrifice to or things like that. Command number three, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And we think, yes, at a minimum, I should not use God's name as a cuss word, even though it's so much more than that. Even the later commandments, kids, it's probably not a good idea to disobey your parents. And killing is certainly wrong. Adultery is wrong. Stealing, well, that's illegal. And coveting and jealousy, we all know the bitterness that that creates in us. And yes, lying is certainly a bad idea. But then command number four, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy unto the Lord. And we hear that and we think, well, but it's the weekend. Like, I've got stuff I've got to get done. I need to knock out some stuff at work before Monday morning. I've got to clean out the garage. We've got kids' sports all weekend. I've got a ton of errands to run. And so we hear the command and we think, well, I'm not really sure what observing the Sabbath means, but you can't really tell me how to spend my weekend because after all, it is my weekend. But here's what we have to realize. Of the Ten Commandments, each commandment is one verse with the exception of the second commandment, you shall not create, create for yourself any graven images, and our command that we have this morning. So the second commandment is three verses long, and the fourth commandment is four. And so when God gave us this commandment, he spent the most time and effort explaining and provided the most detail around the commandment of the Sabbath. And so from a word count standpoint, this is the most significant commandment. Now, I'm not saying it's the most important, but I'm saying that it, it is this command when God gave it to Moses is the one that he took the most time to explain. Now, when I read that this week, I was fascinated by that because clearly something is very important to God about this commandment and about this day. And my hope is that we can discover the importance of it this morning. But we need to ask a question out of the gate. And the question is this, why is the Sabbath so important to God? Why does he put so much effort into explaining it and giving it detail in the Ten Commandments? Well, it begins to make a little more sense for us when we realize how significant the theme of rest is throughout the entire Bible from beginning to end. Depending on your preferred Bible translation, the word rest or a related term can occur as little as 380 times in the King James Version or as much as 585 times in the Amplified Bible. The first time we see rest is in Genesis 2, where we read, Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Well, obviously the theme of rest continues into the Ten Commandments, as we just read, in both Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Later in Jeremiah 6, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, we are told to look to the old roads and the ancient paths, and there you will find rest for your souls. 
On into the New Testament, Jesus told us in Matthew 11 to come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give us rest. In the Hebrews passage we just read, you probably get the most emphasis on rest in the entire Bible, as we just saw. And then finally, in Revelation 14, we are told, Blessed are those who die in the Lord, that they may rest from their labor. And as we noted, there are many, many, many more. And so let me ask you this as we're considering this theme of Sabbath and rest. Are you at rest? Or let me ask you this, how well do you sleep at night? My guess is for many of us in this room, the answer is not very well. And in fact, as I go throughout the week, I feel like the recurring theme for the last three years is I ask people how they're doing. The answer I get over and over again is that I'm exhausted. Now, if you are exhausted, let me tell you, Obviously, you keep good company. David Saul, in his book, Seculosity, points this out in his chapter on leisure and rest. He said, in late 2014, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention declared insomnia to be a full-blown health epidemic in the United States. Americans are having more trouble sleeping than ever before, and the number of diagnosed sleep disorders has skyrocketed. He goes on to point out that even when we have the opportunity to rest, the chance to rest, we rarely actually do so. He wrote this, Despite boasting the smallest amount of paid days off, the United States leads the developed world in untaken vacation days. We clock in some 1,788 hours a year, 120 more than our counterparts in Britain, 300 more than the French, and 400 more than the Germans. But here's what we need to realize about rest is we were absolutely created for it. That's how we're designed. We're designed for rest, sleep, and for Sabbath. All of these things came before sin sin entered the world, before Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. Think about Jesus, who lived a perfect life. He rested, he slept, he Sabbathed. But not many of us will actually do that, and we fight against it constantly. Again, how do you sleep? Do you sleep well at night? I know what the answer is for me. How do you Sabbath? Again, let's read Exodus 20, 8 through 11 again. As Laura read, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So outside of being here this morning, maybe trying to grab a nap this afternoon or not heading into the office, does this day for you look different than any other day in the week? Or is it functionally just another Sunday where you spend a few hours at church in the morning? So full disclosure, I said, I don't rest well. I don't sleep well. I have a hard time falling asleep, and like last night, once I finally do, I'm up multiple times throughout the night. My mind is racing. And sadly, I know that I do treat this day, this Sabbath day, um, just like any other day in a lot of ways. You know, after all, it is a work day for me. I'm at work right now. Sunday afternoons, I will try to nap, I'll try to rest, but I have four kids, and so that's next to impossible. 
But at the same time, not only that, I find myself, my mind racing in the afternoon, thinking about the morning, thinking about how, I re- how y'all received my sermon, thinking about the upcoming week, thinking about the passage that I'm going to preach next week. I have a hard time being still. I have a hard time doing nothing. In a lot of ways, even just the thought of doing nothing makes me uncomfortable. And this isn't good for me. It betrays the way that I'm designed. It's not good for y'all. It betrays the way all of us were designed, and it's not good for our overworked, unrested culture. And the results can be disastrous. As author and speaker Wayne Mueller wrote, if we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, illness becomes our Sabbath. Our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack, our accidents create Sabbath for us. We are created to rest. We are created for Sabbath. Sabbath. And to live without it betrays the image of God in us who rested on the seventh day of creation. But here's the good news. As Hebrews 4.1 told us that the promise of rest still stands. We can rest. We can be at rest and not just from our labor. I'm talking about we can have an ultimate rest. We can have the rest of God. And when we find rest in Him, it will enable us to rest in every other area of our lives, especially today, especially on the Sabbath. This morning we're considering Sabbath, and as we do, I want us to have a definition of what the Sabbath is, because my guess is we don't really know what that word means. Well, it initially comes from, and originally comes from the Hebrew language, which means to stop, which means to cease. Peter Scazzaro, in his book, The Emotionally Healthy Leaders, offers this working definition of Sabbath. He says, biblical Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time in which we stop work, enjoy rest, practice delight, and contemplate God. Now, that certainly sounds different than every other day of the week, but I don't pretend that that necessarily sounds appealing to you. But here's what I want you to think about. Think about how the nation of Israel would have received this gift from God. Remember, Israel had been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, and they worked seven days a week, 365 days. Their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, and great-great-grandparents only existed for one reason, to work. They never stopped. They never rested. They never delighted Their existence was defined by their ability to work and produce. But now, in the Exodus, Pharaoh's reign over them and his oppression over God's people has been broken. They've been given a new identity. Their value and worth is no longer based on what they do. They are no longer human doings, but now it is based on who they are. They're human beings and what they exist for, sons and daughters upon whom the living God has set his love, grace, and affection. They have been handed something that they've never experienced. They have been given the gift of rest. Can you imagine how life-giving that would have been for them? Now, unfortunately, and maybe you felt this even as we're reading the commandments or reading the, the catechism and going through the command, that when we read it and we're confronted with it, it doesn't really sound life-giving in a lot of ways. In fact, it can come across as life-sucking. But Cazero, he tells us why this is. He says, sadly, many of us remain under a harsh and controlling taskmaster, a pharaoh who lives inside our heads, telling us we can't stop or rest, 
The culture shackles us in chains, telling us that the only value is in what we achieve or produce, and that we are losers unless we accomplish more, whatever it may cost us. We are doing well only if things are bigger and better. We compare ourselves to other leaders who seem to produce more bricks more quickly, and we wonder, what's my problem? Eugene Peterson points out in an article he wrote, I think in 1988, something like that in Christianity Today. It was called Confessions of a Former Sabbath Breaker, and this is what he said. Why do we find it so hard? Because the world is in a conspiracy to steal our Sabbath. It's like a pickpocket kind of theft, and we aren't aware of it until long after its occurrence. The world is sometimes our friends, sometimes our families, sometimes our employers. They want us to work for them and not waste time with God, not be our original selves. If the world can get rid of Sabbath, it has us to itself. What it does with us when it gets us is not very attractive. After a few years of Sabbath breaking, we are passive consumers of expensive trash and anxious hurriers after fantasy pleasures. We lose our God and our dignity at the same time. So I've alluded a few times to this reality, but preparation for this morning has maybe been one of the most difficult sermon preparation weeks I've ever had. And it's primarily because, as I mentioned, I'm so poor at this. I've said before that I'm an Enneagram 3, and that's an achiever, that's a climber, and sometimes I actually like that. But this morning, I do not because I realize how often I'm merely obeying the taskmaster in my head. And as Peter said, Peterson said, I know that the world has me to itself. You know, I read some really good books this week. I've included them on the bottom of your bulletin, and I would encourage you to check out every resource that I put there, especially the short articles that I put. But as I read, and they, each author would talk about their own journey to Sabbath, really two emotions occurred to me as I was reading through the books. One was just how attractive it sounds to rest, to delight, to spend time with God intentionally, to unplug and to slow down. But at the same time, I was incredibly convicted by how I spend my Sabbath. And then something I read that Scazzaro wrote actually frightened me and scared me in a lot of ways. And this is what he wrote. He said, Almost every spiritual discipline has value, but some practices constitute the core of maturing in Christ. These practices don't save us, but they are indispensable for growth. Think of it this way. We are not saved by reading the Bible. We are not saved by prayer. We are not saved by worship. We are saved by trusting in Jesus Christ alone, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. But if we are not routinely reading Scripture, praying, or encountering God in worship, it is unlikely that we are growing very much spiritually. And this is what got me. Keeping the Sabbath is a core spiritual discipline, an essential delivery mechanism for God's grace and goodness in our lives. And when I read that, I was stopped in my tracks because I pay so little attention to the Sabbath as a core spiritual discipline. I've never thought about it that way. So what does that tell me about my understanding of God's grace and goodness in my life? What does it tell me functionally about my spiritual growth and maturity? Not good. And that makes me really sad. In just about every book I read this week, the author would connect our Sabbath keeping directly to our trust in God. The Sabbath reveals how much we trust God. And what it revealed to me 
in my lack of rest in general and how terrible I am at the Sabbath is that I don't really trust God. It's the oldest sin in the Bible. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and it plagues my life to this very day. My unwillingness to step away from my work to Sabbath shows that I don't really trust God to run His church or to care for you, to care for His people. My unwillingness to turn off the TV or social media shows me that I don't trust Him, that spending time with Him would give me what I'm actually looking to those devices to give me, but they never do. My unwillingness to slow down shows me uh, that I have an idolatry of accomplishment and efficiency. But at the same time, the gospel is all about grace. And there is grace for me, there is grace for all of us, because as Hebrews 4 tells us, the promise of rest still stands. We can have it. We can have it now. We can have it today. But how do we do it? How do we do it? Well, that's why I included the Hebrews passage in our reading this morning, because in this passage, these 13 verses, we see that there are actually three things that we can do to ultimately enter into the rest of God. And it can create a heart posture in us that will actually give us the desire and longing to, ha- to have an actual Sabbath. Where the, the, well, the first thing that we need to do and that we can see in Hebrews 4 in order to recapture the Sabbath and in order to truly rest and this is the most important thing, is that we need to hear the gospel. We need to listen to the good news. Again, let's look at verse 2 in uh, in Hebrews 4. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And then he goes on to mention the good news in verse 6. Well, what is the good news? What is the gospel? It is essentially this. You are more wicked than you realize. You think you know your sin. I think I know my sin. But God knows our sin far better than we even do. Because as verse 13 tells us, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And because of this, in our natural state, state, We are estranged from God. We are separated relationally from Him. And there is nothing that any of us can do to earn His love and forgiveness. Nothing. Left to ourselves, we are only deserving of hell and condemnation for the ways that we have sinned against God and hurt others. But the gospel doesn't stop there. Because the next step of the gospel is, yes, you're more wicked than you even know, but you are more loved than you could ever imagine. God loves you so much that he came to this earth to rescue you from your sin by dying for it. He came here and he lived the life that you are supposed to live but don't, to die the death that we all deserve to die but won't have to, and now he is gloriously resurrected, sitting at the right hand of God, completed, having completed everything necessary to bring all of us back into the rest of God. Why do you think on the cross Jesus announced, it is finished? He said, I did it. It's accomplished. Now you can rest. And now he is at the right hand of God resting. And how is he resting? He is ruling over all of his creation. 
And here's how the gospel actually brings us to rest. When we truly understand the gospel, first we can rest from hiding our sins because as we just saw, we can't do it. We are completely naked and exposed before a holy God to whom we will have to give an account. He knows the depth of our sin and our rebellion, and so we don't need to hide. We don't have to hide. Instead, we need to be convicted by our sin. Now, that sounds truly, really churchy, and you may hear that and say, well, okay, I guess that just means you're supposed to be sad about your sin, but I'm not talking about emotional conviction here. I'm actually talking about legal conviction. We need to admit we are guilty, and we are deserving of legal and spiritual conviction, and don't minimize your sin. Don't say, well, I'm not as bad as Hitler or bin Laden, because that's a super low bar, and so that's not really saying much. Or don't try to say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I try to treat people right. I, you know, I think, you know, I'm doing a pretty good job. No, you need to look at your sin and be honest about it and let it convict you as guilty. You will never truly rest until you admit that you are guilty. Come out of hiding. The second way that the gospel brings rest is something we read in verse 10 where it says, For whoever has entered in God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And so what that means is that we can rest from our work of trying to be reconciled from God. Remember, it is finished. When we know that Jesus did all the work to give you rest, access, and the love of God, that you are accepted not by what you have done, but by, but by what Jesus has done for you on your behalf, peace comes, rest comes. When you know there's nothing you can do to earn his love, that it's even impossible to try to do so, you can have peace. But here's the irony is it's really not our sin that ultimately keeps us from rest. It's the things that we've done right in our lives that we keep going back to and trusting in. We think, if I could just do more of this really good thing that I'm already doing, God would accept me. But here's the question. How much is enough? Because you can always pray more. You can always read your Bible more. There's always more Bible studies that you can go to. You can always tell more and more people about Jesus. But we need to rest from our works because they don't work. We need to rest. We can rest. As theologian John Gerstner used to say, the main thing between you and God is not so much your sins, it's your damnable good works. The second thing we can do is we see in the book of Hebrews here in Hebrews chapter 4 that we can do to enter the rest of the God enter the rest of God is maybe the most difficult in the entire passage. And this comes in verses 2 and 3 and it says for good news came to us just as to them but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united in faith with those who listened. And we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. The word faith there in verse 2 and believed in verse 3 come from the same Greek word, pistis, which means to believe. And so what this means for us and why it's so difficult is not only do we need to hear the gospel and we need to remind each other of the gospel, but you have to have the courage to believe it. Now, this is really, really hard 
Because, again, what we want to tell ourselves is, well, I'm not really that bad, or I'm not as bad as that person, or I'm not as bad as that evil thing. I don't do terrible things. Or, on the other side of the coin, you may say, well, I've done unforgivable things. I can never be forgiven for what I've done. But, again, that is not the gospel. The gospel says that we are so wicked that to be forgiven, it required the death of the God of the universe. And so if you want to minimize your sin, look at the cross and see what, it, what your forgiveness required. But at the same time, you are so loved by God that he was happy to do so. It was the joy set before him. Remember, the gospel is about dead things coming to life. And so even if there's something dead in you, Jesus Christ can bring it back to life. And we need to remember this every day. This is how we believe it. One theologian famously said that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because every day we forget it. Every day we need to hear and believe the gospel because I know when I don't, I quickly run back to unbelief. I quickly am condemned by the weight of my sin or I quickly start trying to get busy to earn God's forgiveness, his love, and affection with the weight of the world on my shoulders because there's always more to do. But we have to remember that the work has been done. The gospel doesn't say get to work. The gospel says the work has been done. And we need to remember this every day. The third way that our passage tells us that we can enter into the rest of, of God is in verse 11. Therefore, th- let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. We need to strive to enter his rest. Jack Miller once said, uh, who came out with World Harvest Mission, we do a sonship discipleship ministry. He says that we need to work hard with a relaxed heart. And a great way to do that, a great way to strive to enter into the rest of God is today, is to Sabbath. Ironically, maybe the greatest way we can grow in resting and cultivating a heart that actually wants to Sabbath is to Sabbath. Again, we have so many distractions. We have so much things that need to get done. We have unending to-do lists and house projects. There aren't enough hours in the day or days in the week, yet God tells us and calls us to take this day and set it, aside, set it apart from all the others. And why is that? Well, it's so we can rest. It's so that we can actually live how we were designed to live. Mark Buchanan, in his book, The Rest of God, wrote on this very thing. He said, In a culture where busyness is a fetish and stillness is laziness, rest is sloth. But without rest, we miss the rest of God, the rest he invites us to enter more fully so that we might know him more deeply. Be still and know that I am God. Some knowing is never pursued, only received. And for that, you need to be still. Sabbath is both a day and an attitude to nurture such stillness. It is both time on a calendar and a disposition of the heart. It is a day we enter, but just as much a way we see. Sabbath imparts the rest of God, actual physical, mental, spiritual rest, but also the rest of God, the things of God's nature and presence we miss in our busyness. So in Exodus 20, God gives the motivation for observing this commandment because he said that God rested on the seventh day of creation. In Deuteronomy 5, when the Ten Commandments are given again, this is the motivation we have for keeping the commandment. 
starting in verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. In Exodus, God connects the Sabbath to creation, and in Deuteronomy, he connects it to when he delivered his people out of slavery to Egypt. And he said that these are the reasons why and these are the things that are happen, have happened to enable us to keep the Sabbath holy and set us apart. So the Sabbath is meant to remind us of the peace that Adam and Eve had with God pre-sin. And it's also a reminder that God delivered us out of sin and freed us from our captivity to sin and condemnation. And because of these accomplished works, rest is available now, and it reminds us that the ultimate rest is coming. This day, this Sabbath is giving to us so that we can know God better, we can know the work he's done for us, and we can know his rest. And so as the author of Hebrews says, we need to strive to enter it. We need to fight for it. We need to strive to enter his rest. So as we close, how do we do it? right? Practically, boots on the ground. How are we to observe the Sabbath? And this has been debated for hundreds of years because we all live in the real world, right? And this is hard. As Hebrews says, we have to strive to enter it. It doesn't just happen. It will take some work. But I will tell you this practically. The way you observe the Sabbath is sort of up to you. There is a lot of grace around this way, this day. In fact, I would encourage you some of the resources I included. Those are great starting points, and they've got great ideas around how to practically keep the Sabbath. Any of Scazzaro's emotionally healthy books um, are really good on Sabbath. Each chapter is a short read. I would encourage you there. I've actually linked a short presentation that he wrote that's like four counterintuitive ways to keeping the Sabbath or something like that. I included the Peterson article. That's another short read that I found to be really helpful. So take your bulletin with you because these are great starting points. But I really love the four categories that Scazzaro gave in his book. I quoted it earlier again. He said, Biblical Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time in which we stop work, enjoy rest, practice delight, and contemplate God. Notice what he said there. We stop work. We rest from our labors. We have six days to do it. This is only one-seventh of your week. It's 14% of your week. But even if you think, well, it's impossible for me to not work all day Sunday. I've got to get ready for the week ahead. Well, I will tell you, practically, maybe you should Sabbath like Israel did, and like many still do. So they would Sabbath from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. And so if you look at Sunday as your Sabbath, then maybe Sabbath from sundown on Saturday to sundown on Sunday. And then after sundown, if you need to clock in for a couple hours, go for it. Don't be legalistic about it. Again, there is a lot of grace around this day. It is a gift from God. As Jesus himself told us that the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. Let's look again at what Scazzaro said. He said, secondly, enjoy rest. Rest. Relax. Take naps. Take a break. Turn off social media. Give your brain a break. Read for pleasure. Take a walk. Whatever brings about peace and rest, Sabbath is a day for that. He said, delight. Do things you enjoy. Laugh. Have fun. Do things that are life-giving for you. And then last, contemplate God. 
intentionally think of Him, pray, read the Psalms, listen to a sermon, be reminded of how He rescued you through His gospel. Or maybe even to simplify it even more, Peterson in his article says the Sabbath is a day that you should pray and play. He points out that if this church is maybe where you begin your Sabbath, start here in prayer, in worship, make it a priority, praying, hearing God's word and his message of grace, singing to him, and then once you leave here, play. Have fun. Enjoy your day. Do things that are fun for you to do. Enjoy God's creation and the people that he has gifted to you. He says that praying and playing are essential for a true Sabbath, A Sabbath that omits one or the other is not a true Sabbath. And as Ruth Haley Barton points out in her chapter on Sabbath, don't Sabbath alone. The Jewish Sabbath was always practiced in community, and ours should be too. And so it's a day to spend time with family and friends, to enjoy a meal together, to do it in community. And so let's do it together. I'm asking you to help me. As I mentioned, I'm poor at this and I want to grow at this. I'm very much on this journey as well with you. Let's talk about it. Let's strive to recapture the Sabbath. And in doing so, maybe as a church, we can actually experience the rest of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we truly are a culture that has hijacked um, your Sabbath day. Um, with technology and all the resources we have in front of us and just the pressures I know, especially in this city, that we feel to accomplish and to perform and to do bigger and better things, that rest feels like slothfulness. Um, But it's the way we were created. Um, You are the perfect holy God of the universe, and you rested on the seventh day. When you came here in the person of Jesus Christ and was the image of the invisible God, you Sabbathed, but you enjoyed it. You enjoyed it with your disciples, and you enjoyed it in the community. Lord, I pray that we would look at this day as a gift from you to know you better, to know our own hearts better, and to grow in our relationships with you and others, Father. I pray that we would have the courage and take the courage to do so. In your name I pray. Amen.